Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter number 13, and uh, I think we'll just be here just a little while tonight, but that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that the message is unimportant because it's brief. Let me start with a question. If I were to ask what makes you happy, I suspect I'd get a lot of different answers. Uh, let me let me rephrase it then, and uh, maybe it'll make it easier for us to just think of something automatically. What causes you to rejoice? Think about it. You don't have to answer me, but just think. What causes you to rejoice? Sometimes, you know, you know some people you think, man, ain't nothing going to make them happy. Nothing will cause them to rejoice. They're just a sad sack, you know, 20, 24 hours a day. They're never happy about anything. Uh, but most of you probably thinking about something right now. Uh, but I think it's really doubtful that anybody is thinking about what what Paul is talking about in our text for tonight. Now, if you think, well, this just sounds like some little innocent game that we're playing here, let me assure you that it's a lot more serious than what it sounds. Because what you rejoice in, what you rejoice over, reveals your character. It tells something about you. And character counts with God. And so I want you to keep that in mind as we look at another picture of love, the seriousness of the matter, and remembering that our attitude about this is a reflection of who we are, not just the things that we do. You know, I often say that motive matters with God, and it certainly does. It's not just a matter of what we do or how well we do it. It's the motive behind it. And so when we think about our character, that, that's what we really are. That's what God is looking at. I, if I if I were to assign a caption to this, I, I guess it would be uh, concerning love. It's propriety. Notice what Paul says here in verse number six. Our next snapshot of love, he says that love rejoiceth not in iniquity. Now, I said that's love's propriety because that word propriety has to do with that which is fit. It's fitness or it's correctness. In other words, the proper attitude about something. And love's propriety is that it does not rejoice in iniquity. So let's look at this from three different perspectives and and let's ask and answer three different questions. First of all, what are we talking about when we talk about iniquity? Uh, what does it mean to rejoice in iniquity? The Greek word iniquity simply means, the one that's used here anyway, means unrighteousness. It's talking about a condition that is not right. And so he's talking about people that rejoice in and take delight in things that are not right. And remember, God is the one that determines what's right and what's wrong. It's not a matter of whether it's popular or not. It's not a matter of whether, you know, it uh, sounds reasonable to us that there's not anything wrong with this. Uh, 
Uh, it's a matter of what God says. I just happened to notice an article this afternoon uh, about Chip and Joanna Gaines. I forgot the name of that show, but all of you ladies know who I'm talking about. Uh, they're in Waco, the decorator or whatever, and they happen to be a member of a church that opposes homosexuality like we do, and every church did, you know, just a few years ago before all of this nonsense started. And now just being identified with that church has created a big uproar among a lot of people like that's something that's terrible. You know, listen, folks, we've got to have a standard to go by. Otherwise, otherwise, it's just every man does that which is right in his own eyes. What, what kind of a world is that going to be? The survival of the fittest. Just do whatever you feel is right. Or, or we could say, well, no, no, that's not a good idea. Let's just take a vote and we'll let the majority decide. Are you kidding me? You really don't believe that. Because, listen, the majority is not necessarily right. You see, so we've got to have some way to determine right from wrong. And it's important that we do that because when we talk about rejoicing in iniquity, we're talking about that which is, you know, is not proper, not right. It's unrighteous in the sight of God. And the fact that love does not allow us to do that. Now, we could look at this in a lot of different ways. That would include people, you know, for example, that brag about their own sins or those who are well pleased with the sins of other people. So let's think about some examples. There are those, you know, that would brag about their own sin. It might be the boys in the locker room, uh, high school, college. Man, they are there, you know, they're bragging about all of their sexual exploits and they, they want to tell all of the other guys what they did Friday night. But, you know, it might not be just the boys. It might be the girls at their slumber party and they're talking about all of the guys they've slept with. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Yeah, we just slept together. Uh, yeah, you know, just like that was all that was involved, the sleeping part of it. Uh, and by the way, you know, I can remember a time back when when Bev and I were teenagers. Uh, you know, it was the it was the guys that that talked about stuff like that. And the, I'm telling you, the girls, you know, they. I'm not saying they were all pure as the driven snow. That's not what I mean. But I, I'm saying that you just didn't hear girls in public using the language the boys did and talk about the things the boys did. And, and I can remember some years ago, in fact, I was pastoring there in uh, Ludlow, Kentucky, and I was walking down the sidewalk one day, the church and our house were just a couple of blocks from the main street and the school, and and all of a sudden I heard someone, wow, I mean the filthiest, most vile language that you could imagine. And I looked over there and there was four or five, probably maybe preteen girls. And man, they were just turning the air blue. It took me back to the days whenever I was a teenager in Nicotine Alley behind Central High School and the kind of language the boys used. And it's the girls. So, you know, it's not just a matter of the boys, it's also the girls, people that are bragging about uh, things they've done. It's, listen, it's not just the kids. 
It might be somebody that's bragging about how much money they save by cheating on their income tax. Oh, yeah, I found this, this loophole. You know, a loophole is one thing. Uh, you know, that you can have some legal loopholes. But a lot of times people will resort to deception in order to, in order to get personal gain, and then they'll turn around and brag about that. It might be a mother in a supermarket that just received too much change. You know, oh, they gave me a 20 instead of a 1, and, uh, you know, and they're bragging to somebody about that. So there's hundreds of examples that we can talk about. And so when we think about this matter of rejoicing in iniquity, it might have reference to to us personally and the, uh, you know, the boasting about our sin. But it could have to do with just laughing about sin in general. Because after all, we live in a day where, you know, sin is usually thought of as something that is fun and something that is funny. And uh, all you got to do is read the newspapers, watch television, and uh, on the talk shows and things. It's very common. There are entertainers that make millions of dollars every year telling jokes about filth. And they never lack for an audience. You know, the church might be half full, but boy, whenever a certain entertainer is in town and he's going to get up there and it's just vulgarities one after another after another after another, and you've got a house full of people, you know, that are laughing their heads off like this is is really funny. And uh, there's nothing funny about it to God. You know, I, I, I know there are, and I had a preacher friend years ago. He's gone to be with the Lord now, and this guy had more joke books than I do commentaries. I've never seen anybody with so many joke books. And he loved to get up and, and you know, sprinkle his messages with jokes. The sad part of it is, you know, a lot of times we tell jokes about drunkenness and affairs and things like that. There's no laughing matter. And uh, everybody knows, you know, some joke about, you know, the, the drunk on the corner or something that they could tell. But I'm telling you, God's not laughing when we laugh about sin. It might have to do with, and let's look at it from another angle. It might have to do with the rejoicing about the sins of others. It's one thing for, you know, for me to brag about my own sin. Oh yeah, I can you know I I can I can I can drink a fifth of whiskey a day or whatever, and I'm bragging about that. But it, it's something different whenever I rejoice in the sins of other people, and we, people do that for a couple of reasons. It might be because they you know they finally succeeded in enticing someone to sin. You know they they've encouraged them to join them in sin. I, Listen, I've been there, done that. I know exactly what I'm talking about when I talk about a bunch of teenage boys or something getting together. And it might be that finally you convince this one kid that's never drank a drop in his life and you convince him that it's going to be really fun to go out here drinking with us tonight. And so he is just, I mean, he is just drunker than a skunk and falling over, can't stand up. What are the other guys doing? They're laughing about it. That is really funny. We finally got him to take a drink. Look at him, you know. 
like it, like it's something a big deal. Uh, we rejoice about it. it. Might be like whenever I was a kid, and and uh, uh, and you know, I want to be careful about what I tell about myself because I, I know you, you know you probably suspected I've been perfect all my life, but uh, but we we you know as boys we. Uh, Maybe I ought not tell anything. We'd brag about who could steal the most stuff out of the out of the dime stores and places like that. How many candy bars you could get, you know, or whatever. And uh, we would brag about getting somebody else involved in that. You know, we'd sit around and think about what are we going to do tonight? Let's do something. Oh, let's go break into old man so-and-so's garage down there and see what he's got in his garage or something. And it just delights us to get somebody else involved. The young people especially know what I'm talking about because they know what that peer pressure is. You know, trying to pull them in. They're not content in just doing what they do themselves. They want to get somebody else involved. But they're not the only ones that are guilty of that. Sometimes it's the adults that are just as guilty. I, listen, I've known church members who were delighted and literally rejoicing about the fact that they, they've got somebody to take their side in some evil matter. In other words, there might have been some debate going on in the church and they're looking for somebody to support their position. And boy, nothing makes them happier than, you know, to to get somebody to come over to their side. Now maybe we can get something done about this. We'll change the policy here at church or, you know, whatever it is. But they just love getting other people involved in their sins. And then there are those that rejoice in iniquity because uh, they're delighted whenever they hear of somebody getting involved in sin, you know, and then as a result of that, as a result of that, them getting hurt in some way. I'm not talking about necessarily physical, but in some way they get them involved in a sin or see them get involved in a sin. That, that's why gossip is so popular. Do you know that? I mean, you don't hear people gossiping about good things people do, do you? You know, you pull somebody over and say, Psst, let, let me tell you something. I, I saw so-and-so the other day, and, and, and this kid went across the street, and he mowed the yard for that widow woman, and he helped her. I thought that was the most wonderful thing I've seen. Boy, I, you know, I just thought I ought to tell you. But we don't, people don't talk about that, but you let someone do something wrong, especially if it's someone that we don't really like. And, boy, we, it, it just makes us so happy to see them fall into sin. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 24 for just a second. Proverbs chapter number 24 and verse number 17. It says, Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth, and let not thine heart be glad when he stumbleth, lest the Lord see it, and it displease him, and he turn away his wrath from him. I don't know. I'm kind of suspecting that the implication is, lest he turns his wrath away from him and turns it toward you. 
You know, human nature is that whenever someone that we don't like, someone that has maybe in some way embarrassed us or harmed us or even ignored us, uh, that we kind of like it whenever we see them get a dose of their own medicine. And I remember when I was a kid, we had this fellow that playing Little League Baseball, and we had uh, this one kid was a catcher from a little town outside of town there, and uh, really a good kid. But he was small, good ball player, but he was just a little kid. But this other guy, his name was George, I'll never forget that, and George also played football, and he was one of these burly, husky, I mean, he was not only big and strong, he was nasty and mean, and for no reason at all, he hit that other boy in a ball game, got mad about something, and I mean, messed up his face bad. A few years later, it so happened that I was playing softball and fast pitch softball, and uh, and uh, my best friend at that time had been a football player, a very good football player, and he was just as big as this other guy, and he happened to be catching, and this guy's coming around third base, and boy, I mean, I could see it happening. There's going to be a collision like you've never seen before. And then there's going to be a fight. George is coming around third base. He has his head down. He is going to run Jerry over. And, boy, just as he got there, Jerry just, you know, with his football skills, he just ducked down as low as he could and got under him and throwed that big fat blob over his head. And he hit the floor and tears in uh, hit the ground and tears in his eyes. He, he had never had anybody treat him like that in his life. He had never seen that. He got up. He didn't utter a word. He just, he just got off the field. And, I, you know, I thought, man, that made me so happy to see him get what he deserved. But, you know, that's really kind of a sad commentary when you stop and think about it. But that's the way our human nature is. And there's so many times that... Uh, well, I suspect that it even happens in churches when some self-righteous person who thinks they're better than anybody else, you know, they are so spiritual. And then later on to see them stumble and fall and there's just that old mean streak in us that says, ha, 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 you wasn't as spiritual as you pretended to be. Listen, folks, that is a horrible, terrible attitude for us to have. And I'm telling you, I believe with all my heart that that most of us have a propensity to to entertain attitudes like that. And now I know maybe you, you get over it, and, and, and hopefully you do, but, but I'm just saying you're still in the flesh. And your old fleshly nature is just as rotten as it has ever been. And it's only because of your new spiritual nature that it holds you in check. Romans chapter 7 is what Paul's talking about there, that clash between the two natures. And the Lord is warning us about that when we see someone stumble and fall. Whatever you do, do not rejoice in in such iniquity. Now, here's question number two. 
Why is it so harmful to rejoice in iniquity? You know, what's the big deal about it? You know, I think about different entertainers, and of course the kids wouldn't know who Red Skelton was, I don't think, but but a lot of you remember Red Skelton. He played different parts, and and one of the parts that he played in his show was was this drunk, and and it's what Freddie the Freeloader. Yeah, he watched the show, Freddie the Freeloader, and you know you you sit there, and of course back then I wasn't even a Christian. You don't even think about it, and he was hilarious. I, you know, I got to tell you, it was funny in that sense. But the, the, the fact of the matter is we look at stuff like that and we say, hey, oh, it's just lighthearted, innocent play whenever we, you know. And, and by the way, we're just talking about that one particular sin. We could name, you know, a thousand different ones. But the question is, why is it so harmful? Well, number one, and th- th- listen, this should be the only reason we need. Number one, it's offensive to God. When we rejoice in iniquity, whenever, you know, whenever that delights us and we laugh about it and we, you know, it thrills us to, and we just have this lighthearted attitude. In other words, it's kind of like us putting our stamp of approval on something that God hates. God hates sin. God hates sin because he knows what it does to people. That ought to be enough reason for any of us to avoid having that kind of an attitude about sin. It's like Isaiah warned us, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. And that describes the day that we're living in today. Things that are clearly wrong by by definition per the Scriptures and and even though it's wrong, people to call the evil good, and it offends God. Does that concern you? That what you're doing might be offending God? Well, it ought to. Secondly, and of less importance, but still of great importance, is that it's harmful to others. It might be a father that's bragging about uh, the amount of booze that he can drink and uh, consequently the son listens to all of that and uh, it's acceptable in dad's sight. In fact, dad might buy him his first drink. Stuff like that happens. Brag about, brag about, my boy can drink you under the table. I was watching an episode of Cops some time ago, and this kid had beat the snot out. And I'm talking about a kid now that was 17, 18 years old, and he'd beat up some grown man in a bar. He was in the bar with his daddy. The cops come out there, and there this old boy sitting there. I mean, he's got a knot on his head like you wouldn't believe and bleeding. And what happened, what happened to you? Well, the guy beat me up. Well, he got the guy and his dad out of the bar, and it was a teenager. And here's the dad, you know, bragging about it. I'll teach you to mess with my boy. Isn't that a great lesson to teach your kids? I mean, take them to a bar and then turn around 
and brag about the fact that he beat up some some drunk. And yet stuff like that happens. And what happens is we leave the impression with others that sin's not all that big of a deal. It's, you know, doesn't bother dad or doesn't bother mom. And so uh, let's not be that big of a deal. And consequently, that starts them on a life of sin. And they get the idea that they can sin and escape the consequences of it. Oh, dad got along just fine. He drank all of his life, you know. He got along fine. It won't, it won't hurt me. It won't bother me. Nobody ever sets out to become a, an alcoholic. Nobody ever thinks of that when they take their first drink. Whenever people start shoplifting, they never even dream of the fact that this could be the thing that starts me down a road where I'm going to end up in prison. They don't think about that. And yet there are mothers that literally take their kids shoplifting. It's offensive to God, it's harmful to others, but not only that, it is a danger to self. And I say that because absolutely any violation of God's law puts us in danger. It's making a difference what it is. Listen, sin is dangerous in any form. And somewhere or another, we, we get it in our mind that this sin is really is awful and terrible and so forth and you know, may some of you feel that way. Maybe about drinking. That is, to you, that is, oh well, my, that is the worst sin in all of the world to be a drunk, or, or God forbid that you ever smoke a little pot or whatever. I mean, that is horrible and terrible. And it, and then they, you know, they look at the other sins of fornication and adultery and stuff like that. Like, eh, that's no big deal. That, you know, that's just the way life is nowadays. And, you know, you can go around categorizing sin all you want to. But when God looks at sin, he hates all of it. And any sin endangers you. Your attitude about sin not only, listen, it not only reveals something about your character, as I said at the beginning, but it reveals something about your future. It is a predictor of where you are headed. If you don't think this is serious, just notice what Paul said in 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. And he's talking about the coming of the Antichrist. And of course, you know, in connection with the coming of the Lord and what have you. And, and the horrible, terrible times that there's going to be. And, and as a result of them rejecting the truth, he says in verse 11 of this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. And it's kind of like, you know, it's, it's kind of like that if you want to reject the Lord, the Lord will reject you. I'll give you an example. The Bible talks about the fact that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Some smart that comes along doesn't know anything about the Bible, and they say, well, you know, that wouldn't be fair at all. How could God then judge Pharaoh if God's the one that hardened his heart? Well, if you'll read the Bible, you'll discover that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Amen. And as a result of that, God hardened his heart. You see, here's what most people don't realize. Sin has its own built-in punishment. Amen. 
You don't, God doesn't have to do anything special in order to punish you for your sin. If you don't believe that, read Romans chapter number 1. Just study that chapter where it says, And God gave them over to a reprobate mind. God, it's kind of like, you want to do that? Here, I'm going to turn you loose and let you do it. Here he's talking about the people that are so awful, so terrible, that says that God is going to send them a strong delusion and they're going to believe a lie. Now listen to this, that they all might be damned. Why? That they all might be damned who believe not the truth. Now notice this, this, because this is very telling about the character of these people, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Pleasure in unrighteousness. You, You think this is not serious with God? To rejoice in iniquity, regardless of the context in which you do it that we've been talking about here tonight, it endangers you. Now, that brings us down to one more question. And that is, what keeps us from rejoicing in iniquity? What, what's the solution? What, what's, what's the prevention for the problem? Well, naturally, as you know, the answer is very obvious because he says here that love, love rejoiceth not in iniquity. But before we talk about that, there's something else I want to insert in there that is also important. If we're going to, if we're going to keep from committing this sin, the two things we need, one is love that we'll get to, the other is learning of its harm. Learning of its harm. Psalms 119 and verse 11, the psalmist said, Thy word have I hid in my heart. Why? that I might not sin against thee. I can't even begin to tell you how important it is that you spend time in God's Word every single day of your life. And when you fail to do that, you endanger yourself because you weaken yourself and your resistance against sin. But boy, when you get in the Word of God every day, it's kind of like, man... Well, the Holy Spirit has a way of searching out those inconsistencies and sinful things in your life and just slapping you upside the head with the truth. Now, I understand that love is the main reason, but we need to pay attention to this because although sometimes in a person's life, even though love is lacking, their behavior will be moderated by the fact and the fear of punishment, because they know, they have a knowledge that if I do this and I get caught, I'm going to be in trouble. You see, many people obey the law, not because they got good character, they obey the law so they can stay out of prison. That is a deterrent. That's that's why it's important in our justice system that whenever... Whenever crimes are committed, there's got to be more than just a slap on the wrist and to get out of jail free card in the morning. And you've got to be some teeth in the laws in order to, in order to be a deterrent to the crime. 
And I'm telling you what, as bad as I was whenever I was growing up, that was the one thing and about the only thing that I was really uh, fearful of was ending up in jail or prison. I didn't, I didn't want to do that. I mean, I, if, I, if I thought there was any possibility I was going to get caught doing this or doing that, I, I didn't do it. Of course, you know, you always think you're smarter than you are and you can get by with it and you don't. But, but, but I'm simply saying it's important that we learn the truth about the consequences of our sin, that we learn about its harm. Somewhere or another, we've got this idea. I say we, not it's not we. Uh, some so-called preachers have the idea, just as one popular preacher here in the area said on national TV, that he's bragging about the fact he didn't preach against sin, didn't mention sin. And, and his explanation was because, oh, every, everybody, everybody knows what sin is, and everybody knows, you know, that they could be better than what they are. I don't need to tell them that. They already know that. You know, so we're going to get on to more positive things about how how to have your best life now. Let me tell you something. You cannot expect to lead anybody to Christ, and it does no good to just preach the gospel until, first of all, somebody comes to understand that they're a lost sinner, and they'll never understand that without the preaching of the law, God's law. That's why it was given us our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. It's again, it's looking at that standard and saying, wait a minute. I know this is popular at school. I know the teacher even says it's okay. I know the Supreme Court has voted and they said it's all right. It's not a big deal. It's just that big, fat, red-faced preacher down there. He's the only one I know that's against it. But I'm telling you what, if God is against it, you better get against it. Because it's harmful. But the main reason and the most obvious reason is what? Love rejoiceth not in iniquity. You, you see, love never delights in sin, whether it be our own personal sin or whether it be uh, another person's sin. It, it, does, it never delights in sin because love is grieved by sin. We grieve over sin. Why? Well, because we love God and God hates sin. It doesn't make any difference who commits the sin. It's still a horrible thing. And, and if my heart is filled with the love of God, I, I don't want to just be free from sin personally. I want to be separated from those that indulge in it. That, that, that doesn't mean that, I, you know, that I'm a holier than thou, that I, you know, that, that I don't think I ought to speak to other people or something like that. You know, it doesn't mean that at all. You could never win anybody to Christ if you just isolated yourself from all of the sinful people in the world. We're obligated. We're to be salt and light. We've got to come in contact with people like that. But we never have to run with that crowd. I'm sure every kid, nearly every kid has heard at some point in time, 
you know, mom or dad saying, look, I want you to stay away from that boy or that girl. They're bad news. Stay away from them. They'll get you in trouble. You run around with them. You know, that I'm telling you, mom and dad might be a lot smarter than you think they are. And if you're running with the wrong crowd, it's just a matter of time. Kind of like old Sam Jones used to say, you lay down with the dogs, you'll get up the fleas. And I'm telling you, a man is corrupted by the company that he keeps. And the only safeguard we've got against all of this, this frivolous attitude about sin that God hates, is love. Because we don't want to see anybody involved in sin of any kind. Never forget, if you want to see the seriousness of sin, you don't look in the prison. If you want to see the seriousness of sin, you look at the cross. Where God gave His Son, who was nailed to the old rugged cross and shed His blood. That's how terrible sin is. To think that He gave His life in order that we might be forgiven of our sins. Have you received him as your Savior? Do you know your sins have been forgiven, that your home's in heaven? If not, you could settle that here tonight. If you've had the wrong attitude about sin, it might be you're a Christian, you're on your way to heaven, but you haven't really taken sin seriously as you ought to, and it might be tonight that there's some things you need to make right with God. As we stand and Extend this invitation tonight. You just do what God lays on your heart. Father, how we thank you for the greatness of your love, not only the love that draws us to the cross at Calvary, the love that results in our salvation, but for that love that you put within our heart that enables us to live peaceably with our fellow man, that love that you give us that that compels us to do everything in our power to please you and to refrain from sin and, and any semblance of it. Help us tonight, dear Lord, to live our life in such a way that you'll be well pleased with what we do. May our character reflect Christ to all of those that we come in contact with. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.